0: This is the full story. I'm Tom Couser. In January, Connecticut expanded Husky Health Medicaid coverage to include all children 12 years or younger, regardless of their immigration status. Well, now state lawmakers are considering a bill that would expand coverage again. It's House Bill 6616, and it would increase the age limit for coverage to 26. But the bill is in flux, and the final age limit did drop. So what is the status of this proposal? And does it really have enough support, enough momentum to become law? State Senator Matthew Lesser joins us on Zoom to help us answer those questions. He's a Democrat from Middletown and the co-chair of the legislature's Health and Human Services Committee. Senator, welcome to the full story.
1: Oh, great to be with you.
0: Let's talk about House Bill 6616, because that's really where all of this is, is happening. How would it expand this coverage, uh, A and B, through Husky Health?
1: Well, right now we have a system of inequality in this state. And if you are up to age 12, as you mentioned, you can have coverage if you're uh, income qualifying and a child. Uh, And that's something that just started in in January. Just the children no longer, uh, just have to meet income thresholds and then they can go to see a pediatrician when they're sick. Um, But for children over that threshold, they are ineligible unless they can prove through immigration documents that they are uh, they're here legally. Uh, and and so what that means is that we've got kids in high schools, uh, uh, middle schools across the state of Connecticut who can't go to see a doctor when they're sick. And if we learn anything during the pandemic, it's that that puts all families in Connecticut at risk. When you have folks who uh, get sick, can't go see a doctor. Uh, you know, we heard stories about kids uh, with broken arms whose parents didn't send them to the emergency room because they were afraid of a doctor's bill. And so that's a real public health problem, and so what we're seeking to do is to end that inequality and to expand coverage at least to 18, but we know that there's certainly a need for folks uh, beyond that as well.
0: This is the third year in a row that the Connecticut General Assembly has considered expanding Husky Health. In 2021, the age eligibility for undocumented kids went up to 8, 2022 jumped to 12, as we just discussed, uh, which started in January. And now, again, a push to expand coverage.
1: Yes, and it's it's been an incremental, I think. Connecticut is the land uh, of steady habits. Uh, but what we found in January when the program kicked into effect is that we're seeing a huge public health uh, benefit uh, from having uh, universal coverage. We're, we're no longer seeing these inequities for our youngest kids. Uh, and if you think paying for health care for young kids is expensive, uh, look at the cost of denying them health care because we— uh, we certainly pick up the cost when people who are very sick show up in an emergency room. That's a cost that's passed on to everyone in the state. And and, and certainly the, the benefits of preventative care, of helping catch uh, issues early, uh, are vast, especially when you look at children. So um, we're, we're seeing this as being a hugely successful program. Thousands of kids have already signed up through CARE through the Department of Social Services, Uh, and I know that there's a lot more that that we can do for our older children.
0: I was going to ask you, how do you measure the success? What evidence is there that uh, the jump from 8 to 12 actually had an impact? People signing up, kids being signed up for for coverage, certainly in terms of actual health benefits. Is there evidence uh, available for that?
1: Well, we're going to see that over the next few years. We're going to get a lot of data, but I can tell you that when you talk to any federally qualified health center you talk to school-based health centers they are already seeing a difference The you know kids are getting care who need it at least for the younger kids but you have uh, two siblings now one's a little older one's a little younger if you're over 12 their younger sibling can go get care but the older one cannot so we're starting to see some of those uh, inequities you know crop
0: up how many young people could gain coverage if if the bill passes do you have a number for that
1: well, we don't know for sure, but it's probably a, at least a couple of thousands. We'll see exactly. We've got different estimates for the numbers out there. But, you know, the, the system has been very popular, but it's not been overwhelmed so far with the, with the kids up to age.
0: I'm wondering about the two, the two age numbers, 26 and 19. The original bill called for the age limit to go to 26, and then that changed to 19 during negotiations. Why was there more support for the bill among your colleagues with the, the 19 age limit?
1: Well, I think Connecticut has been looking at this program gradually and incrementally, and I think my colleagues are rightly interested in looking at the impact on taxpayers. And uh, we should be careful about any new programs because you know we need to make the, the state's books balance. So I think it's incremental, but certainly the largest support is recovering children, and it's going to be a harder argument. But I think it's important to say that that young adults are dreamers should qualify for coverage as well as long as they're income eligible That there's no special right for these folks. But if you're living in Connecticut, you're working, you're paying taxes, you know, you grew up here, you should be able to, to have the same benefits as everyone else. It's the right thing to do, but it also is in our interest uh, as a public health matter to make sure that, you know, sick kids in our state, sick young people can go see a doctor.
0: In the land of steady habits, as you mentioned before, can we expect then another uh, bill to expand Husky Health next year uh, from 19 to 26? <laughs> I don't uh,
1: I have been so impressed by the advocates, the immigrants in our state who are really organizing and making a case for themselves. This is not being led by legislators. It's being led by some really inspiring young people telling their stories, how they got here, how they grew up, what they're going through. And, you know, I'm sure they're going to continue to organize and to push the envelope and to challenge uh, the legislature to do more.
0: One of the things that you mentioned, and you've talked about, uh, you know, being careful with costs with any new bill. One of the things you mentioned in an article in the uh, CT Mirror, the online news source. So you said that the expansion will save hospitals in the state some money. How how would that happen with with an expansion of this to that higher age?
1: Yeah, it's actually uh, very important for the financial viability of our hospitals, because if someone goes to the hospital today, they're entitled to receive emergency care to be stabilized, and that cost gets picked up by all of us, by everybody who goes to the hospital. It the hospital itself has to eat the cost, and certainly we provide support on an emergency basis to hospitals through emergency Medicaid and through other support. But that is the most inefficient way of providing care. You know, when somebody walks into the emergency room because they haven't had an issue treated previously, that is, you know, frequently extremely expensive way of providing care, and and it provides real stress. To the bottom lines of our of our hospitals, a lot of them are still shaky after the pandemic, and uh, you know that's why hospitals have been real champions uh, of this program, making sure that you know they're not eating the costs and they're not passing them on to all of us in terms of higher healthcare costs.
0: Sounds like there's a good deal of support for this latest expansion to either 19 or, or 26, and the legislative session is I don't need to tell you is coming to an end fairly soon. Is there enough support to to push this through? And get it to the government. I, yeah. I, I believe there
1: is. Yeah, uh, I believe there is. Again, I don't know that we're going to get to twenty-six this year, but I believe we can get all of our uh, uh, kids up to nineteen uh, covered. And I think that uh, that support is there, and uh, it's really a testament to the the organizing, the advocacy that that these young people across Connecticut have have done. They've made the case. Previously, they've won support uh, on both sides of the aisle. Not not universal, but there has been bipartisan support. And, and you know, my hope is that that will continue this year.
0: Matt Lesser is a state senator, Democrat from Middletown, Connecticut, co-chair of the Legislature's Health and Human Services Committee. We've been talking about efforts to expand, broaden, Husky Health Medicaid A and B. Uh, senator, thanks so much for your time today. We appreciate your insights and sharing us, uh, with us the status of that bill. Thank you so much. Well, since we spoke with State Senator Matt Lesser, that bill once again has been amended in committee. For an update on where it stands right now, I'm joined by Luis Luna. He's the coalition manager for Husky for Immigrants. That's a coalition fighting to extend Connecticut's Medicaid program to all immigrants, regardless of their status. Luis Luna joins us via Zoom. Welcome to the full story.
2: Thank you so much for having me here.
0: Uh, First of all, please tell us a bit more about Husky for Immigrants. Uh, Again, as I mentioned, a coalition. How many organizations are part of the coalition?
2: Yeah, so HOSKI for Immigrants is a coalition of over thirty organizations uh, statewide that are working together to expand HOSKI to all undocumented folks in the state of Connecticut.
0: And when was it organized?
2: So the coalition started in twenty nineteen, and it was um, started by Connecticut Students for a Dream and another folks, um, Rose Ferraro, for instance, who is at Universal Health Foundation, and the idea was with uh, Connecticut Students for a Dream was to do a survey and uh, see what was the most important issue within their membership. And healthcare came up as the top issue for folks who are undocumented and rightly so. And that's how the campaign started. Uh, This was 2019 and in 2021 and 2022 was when we were able to open the Husky program to undocumented children, uh, eight and under and 12 and under respectively.
0: The coalition members, who do they represent? Is it strictly immigrants, or what, what sort of range of, of people are represented in the coalition members?
2: Yeah, so the coalition uh, is uh, led by immigrant folks, uh, mostly women who uh, belong to organizations like Make the Road Connecticut, Connecticut Students for a Dream, and others, and. I think we are, you know, really centered around the immigrant voice, and I think that that has allowed us to get to where we are because we really understand how having lack of, of access to healthcare really impacts our families. I mean, I come from an undocumented family. My, my father is undocumented. He has lived in the U.S. for thirty-two years. He's a homeowner, and he had a, t- a heart attack uh, two years ago. Mm, sorry to hear that. And Thank you. And he has not been the same since then. And in the last two years, he has received subpar medical treatment for, for his heart condition, which is scary. This is the reality for many undocumented folks across the, across the state.
0: Husky for immigrants and you're lobbying for HB 6616. Uh, why is that bill important to the coalition?
2: So we introduced the bill in, uh, earlier during the legislative session. Uh, this bill expanded uh husky coverage up to 26. 26 because um, it goes in part with the ACA, and also there's broad medical consensus that young people, children, need to have continuance of care until they're, until they're young adults, for, for various reasons, for their physical, for their mental health, for their overall uh, well-being. So this bill was then reduced at the Human Services Committee to age 18. It passed, and then when the bill was referred to the Appropriations Committee, it was then reduced to 15 years of age.
0: Is that an acceptable compromise for your coalition? It's significantly uh, less than 26, but it's significantly more than 12 the 12-year-old um, a threshold was put into place just this year, uh, in January, I believe. It
2: is absolutely not acceptable. It is not something that we can be happy about. Many reasons uh, for that. I mean, one of them is that a simple question, you know, what, what is the difference between a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old? The other question that comes is, is how inexpensive expanding Husky for undocumented young people is so we did the numbers and we got a report from the rant corporation and expanding healthcare to undocumented folks 26 and under will cost the state less than one percent of the total medicaid budget so expanding it to 15 the appropriations committee they gave us three million which uh, which is a drop in the bucket in considering the large Connecticut surplus, the overall uh, Medicaid budget, and the overflowing rainy day fund. So for us, it's, a, it's unacceptable.
0: You had mentioned before that um, there's really no difference between a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old when it comes to the need for health care. And there are some advocates who say that the way Husky is set up now can create issues for families who are in this situation. They might have kids who are different ages but still kids. They may have a variety of immigration status issues uh, within the family. That's got to make getting any kind of healthcare, care, consistent health care, pretty difficult.
2: It's another, it's another barrier that, that undocumented uh, families and also low-income families uh, face. If you look at immigrant families, many of these families are of multi-status. So we have seen stories where undocumented parents have children who are either 12 and under and have qualified for Husky, and then children who are above 12 years of age who do not qualify for Husky. So it is an impossible place for a parent to be to see that one of their children has healthcare and the other one doesn't. And that is not to mention that the parents themselves don't have access to health care. So if we have children who are not well, their parents are not going to be well. If their parents are not well, their children are not going to be well. And we have seen that expanding Husky will also benefit the state because there will be a, a savings on uncompensated care, savings on emergency uh, Medicaid, and... And, you're, and access- you're
0: saying that would be because with consistent regular health care, they wouldn't run into problems that are more severe that require emergency attention.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm. you know, one example that I gave with my, you know, my father. My father has been here for thirty-two years, and he hasn't had access to healthcare. He has often had to pay out of pocket. So I have insurance. So whenever I I am un- unwell, I can see my doctor, and they're able to identify uh, issues that that I might have. I'm I'm about to turn forty, and our bodies are a little more sensitive uh, to things. <laughs> we gotta take care of them. We gotta mm-hmm. take care of our bodies. Yeah, sure. So my father had a heart attack and this could have been preventable if he had access. I mean, we, we don't know, but folks who have early stages of diabetes, who have hypertension, who have asthma, etc. if you don't take care of uh, your health issues at an early stage, it becomes more expensive. And, th- and those costs will fall onto um, federally qualified health clinics or hospitals. And, and in some cases, the state has to pay for this cost. So, so having, investing uh, this small amount of money, in this case up to 26, it's an investment in the future and it makes fiscal sense.
0: How specifically are you uh, advocating for this particular bill that would expand uh, Husky Health? And and how have lawmakers responded to what you've been doing?
2: Legislators are, have been very responsive. I mean, there's a lot of support for this, for, for expansion. So across the board, with independents, Republicans, and Democrats, about 65% of these voters support expanding Husky.
0: And, and we say the expansion, system. we're talking about 19 or 26? Uh, we,
2: we're we
0: talking 19. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, okay. Yeah. So then um, with Democrats, for instance, and our government is controlled by Democrats, our three branches. So uh, with Democrats, Democrat voters overwhelmingly support expanding Husky, 80%, over 80% of, of, of voters. So that contrasted to what we have seen by the governor, for instance, the governor did not include any money in his budget for Husky expansion, which made our job very difficult because of the complexities of the spending cap and all of these things that we that that the state is facing so we have to just call things uh what they are you know uh, the governor he says that he supports immigrant families his budget needs to reflect that so we have an opportunity i think we're we're pretty confident that the uh, that the governor will uh, will support this there's a few days left of the legislative session we have put a lot of pressure Uh, we have told us our stories uh during our public hearing we had over 700 testimonies that were submitted in favor of husky more than any other campaign and yet we are here in this moment where we are fighting to get to 18 at least to 18 and our legislators have given us 15, and this is unacceptable.
0: If you are successful in helping to push through 15 or even 19 as the, uh, as the threshold, this is all hypothetical, of course, and gets to the governor's desk, he signs it, is that somewhere you will hold off in the future? Or will you be back at trying to expand it to 26 next year?
2: Well, we, we, be, we believe that healthcare is a human right and every person needs access to healthcare. We also need to make sure that we set the right precedent at the national level. We need to make sure that we expand uh, Husky to everyone. And that's the least that we can do. There's many states out there who have expanded uh, healthcare to undocumented folks. But what Connecticut is doing by expanding it 2 years one session 2 years the other session is really set, it's setting up a bad precedent so we need to make sure that we address that and that we we speak honestly about that everyone deserves healthcare the governor deserves healthcare my father deserves healthcare my neighbors deserve healthcare my family deserves healthcare all of us deserve healthcare it's a human right and we are fighting for that
0: Luis Luna is the coalition manager for Husky for Immigrants, coalition fighting to extend Connecticut's Medicaid program to all immigrants, regardless of their status, and to bring up the age of qualification. Mr. Luna, thanks so much for spending time with us and explaining uh, your position on this. We appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate you.
0: Physicians are among those calling for the expansion of Husky Health. Among them is Dr. Julia Rosenberg. She's an assistant professor of general pediatrics at the Yale Institute for Global Health. And Dr. Rosenberg joins us now via Zoom. Uh, welcome to the full story.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Could you tell us a bit more about the Yale Institute for Global Health, uh, the work you do there, and how that's connected with uh, the topic of Husky Health?
3: Absolutely. So speaking individually, when I I talk about some of the expansion for Husky for children in the state, um, and clinically, I do work in pediatrics and affiliated with the Institute of Global Health at Yale as well, um, which does a lot of work for thinking about the health of individuals in the global context, but that often can involve people right in our own backyard, in our neighborhood, who've experienced the immigration or refugee experience and are now living in our state.
0: Following up on that, you see patients individually too, correct? That's uh, correct. In a post on the Yale Pediatrics blog called Paw Prince, P-A-W Prince, you shared a story about a six-year-old girl from Central America who you first saw uh, last year. Her parents brought her in to get ready for school. but when it was time for a follow-up visit, you said that they didn't show. What what happened in their situation?
3: So I think in many contexts, it can be hard to understand how lack of access to health insurance can affect general care. Um, in the bigger picture, there are times when children are going to go to a doctor, no matter what the cost is. One of those is preventive visits that are required to get into school. So what happens is we'll often see children, um, if even if they have to pay out of pocket, at least those times that they need to to get the, everything prepared for school. But there's often needs for follow-up. We do a lot of screening. Our whole idea in pediatrics is prevention and making sure that children can thrive. So if a child um, comes in for one visit and we decide that we want to follow up, whether that be to follow-up, a blood test, development, home situation, so many things that we can continue to make sure that we're checking in so that children are doing well. If they still have to pay out of pocket at a future visit, it's less clear if they're going to come back for those follow up visits. So it didn't take long after implementation of the expansion of Husky for some children. So in Connecticut, starting in January 1st, they've expanded it now up to age 12 where I started to see a little bit of a difference. And this is anecdotally, Mm -hmm. um, but children who I had wanted to see and follow up were now coming back a little bit more more frequently. Um, And those are many families who had recently been insured and families who I had the opportunity to let them know that they were soon to be eligible and seeing that relief on many families' faces, that they know that that prevention is available, that that doctor is available, and they don't have to wonder about cost.
0: So your individual experience showed that the expanded Husky coverage, at least through the 12th year, did result in people coming back and children coming back for follow-up care.
3: I saw that anecdotally. We Hmm. also know this from the evidence. So when we look at the states, there are some states in the the U.S. that have already passed legislation in these individual states where all children— regardless of documentation status, can be eligible for public health insurance. So when we look at those states compared with the states that have not passed similar legislation, we see that there are more visits to preventive care, more visits for dental visits, and less what's called foregone care or less care that should have happened that gets missed. Um, So we know this both from the literature and starting to see this in our own state, anecdotally.
0: You talked about improved health outcomes for kids who are covered by insurance in a letter that you wrote to lawmakers urging them to support Connecticut House Bill 6616. Can you be more specific about those improved health outcomes, what specific kinds of benefits do do kids experience when they're covered by insurance?
3: Over the past several decades in general in the U.S., coverage and health insurance coverage for children has improved over time. And what we see right alongside that is when there is continuous enrollment in health insurance, you know, continuous access to that care that's needed when it's needed, when it's not needed for preventative visits, just knowing that it's available can really make a big difference in a a child's life, both in terms of medical care, as well as in terms of long-term health and well-being. Kids who have continuous enrollment in health insurance are going to have less days of missed school. Um, they're going to be more likely to succeed academically and more likely to have better health and health outcomes in the future.
0: In your experience, again, anecdotally, of course, have you seen that many of the people who, are, uh, who would benefit from this kind of a change are immigrants, uh, documented, undocumented
3: So the expansion of eligibility is something that is is going to be helpful for undocumented children and families in the state. But again, right alongside uh, the the data that we have about enrollment, we do know that when enrollment in general becomes more accessible, we see what's known as a welcome ad effect. So this benefit that benefits and helps some people to enroll really helps to make it more generally known, and we see more enrollment in general too. So these benefits can affect directly to many of the undocumented residents in our state, but often when we see just more general inclusion for health, those benefits extend beyond what we initially
0: imagine. Also in your letter you say that you've had to inform parents from time to time that their child has aged out of coverage before the expansion to uh, to uh, age 13. What's it like what was it like when you had to do that?
3: So this expansion is is just went into effect in January. So before the expansion went into effect, we were talking to many families about the fact that soon their children who were 12 and under could be eligible for health insurance when previously they had not been. What I have seen is families where there might be a 10-year-old and a 15-year-old, or one child who's eligible and one child who's not. Um, And that type of discrepancy uh, and disparity is very difficult to communicate with families. Um, It... uh, It results in confusion, disappointment. You know, There's excitement that at least one child can be covered. But of course, childhood does not stop at 12. It does not stop throughout the teenage years. In fact, that's really when we need to be accessible for uh, teenagers. And so uh, being able to provide coverage for children um, of all ages within a household is something that hopefully we'll be able to provide going forward.
0: What would happen with a family like that where maybe there was one who is qualified another who is who had aged out what do they do next Just to
3: clarify, the part of what happens with this current legislation is once enrolled, the child can continue to stay qualified. So they would not lose their health insurance coverage if they enrolled at 12 currently and then turn 13 as long as they've enrolled. So what really just happens is, again, it's very complicated. Um, Just the logistics of being able to get care, understand who can get care when, and making sure that people understand which child can get care when they need to pay that can be very complicated.
0: I'm wondering how many of your patients would benefit from the expansion of uh, Husky Health as proposed in this current bill?
3: The the data around the number of undocumented children in the state um, is available through the Migration Policy Institute. It is likely around, I believe, ten to 20,000 children in the state uh, would likely benefit I can check those numbers more, more specifically, but it really is kind of, again, to help with all children being able to access health care in the state as a whole.
0: Not everyone thinks this is a good idea, this expansion, and there are some who say the bill offers benefits to migrants that uninsured or underinsured Americans don't have. What do you think about that, that kind of opposition to the idea?
3: You know, first and foremost, health care is a human right. It is something that, especially for children, as a pediatrician, I went into this field to be able to provide health care to all children. And to come into a state where this is not necessarily the case, where I can't provide the care that I want to to all children and I'm just simply not seeing many of the children I should be seeing to help them thrive is very disheartening. And I'm very hopeful that we can provide care, this basic human right for all children. The argument is talked about, about kind of the cost and um, the, the contribution that people who may be undocumented are making to the state. And it is important to note that undocumented residents in Connecticut do pay taxes, over $500 million toward taxes, both state and federal. And so uh, the financial contribution is there for these people who are our neighbors and who can benefit from health care.
0: Have lawmakers responded to your, your letter to them about supporting this bill that expands Husky to 26?
3: We've seen some really uh, great champions uh, in our legislature uh, who have been supporting this bill uh, and speaking out about it. And we're very thankful for the strides that have been made so far and hopeful that we can cover all children this year.
0: Dr. Julia Rosenberg is an assistant professor of general pediatrics at the Yale Institute for Global Health. We've been talking about the expansion of Husky Health to the age of 26 in Connecticut. Uh, Doctor, thank you so much for your time today and your uh, anecdotal insights about, uh, about what's happening. We appreciate that.
3: Thank you so much. I appreciate the time.
0: Advocates for people living with disabilities want lawmakers to expand access to Connecticut's Husky C program. Husky C provides Medicaid coverage for state residents who are disabled or over 65 and retired or unable to work. But in order to qualify, residents have to have a monthly income which is below the poverty line and their savings are severely limited. This puts workers in a precarious position. Many worry that they can't retire or lose their jobs. Otherwise, they'll lose the health care coverage that they really need. Advocates say this is discrimination. To understand more about the efforts to make Huskies seem more accessible, we are joined today by Sandy Roberts, who is the Information and Referral Specialist for the Center for Disability Rights in West Haven. A welcome to The Full Story. Thank you for joining us.
4: Thank you very much.
0: Could you tell us about the Center for Disability Rights and the work that you do there?
4: Sure, I work at the Center for Disability Rights. I've been employed there for over 30 years. I appreciate that the work is difficult, but it's very rewarding. Part of what I do there, I do information referrals. So a lot of times, First time callers, when they call in, I'm the first person they speak to. A lot of people be calling in regards to benefits and losing risk of losing benefits or wanting to apply for benefits. Some of the many phone calls that we get, we also get calls for housing resources, disability resources. So it runs a wide gamut of topics. I I think one of the most important things that we do receive calls about many times is for medical benefits. And many times people with disabilities or senior citizens, when they sign up for Medicare, they don't exactly get the same amount of services that you get through Medicaid. And I think many senior citizens then find themselves in difficult and disappointing situations. Medicare, Well, cover for short term home care if you've been hospitalized. But what a lot of people don't realize that does not cover long term care. So then they're in a very difficult position of having to pay for care out of pocket, paying sometimes for medications out of pocket. A lot of times they don't get medical transportation to doctor's appointments through Medicare, and that is what's covered through Medicaid. Um, so it's really a critical situation
0: right now. and a complicated one, too, we mentioned that advocates like yourself are looking for lawmakers to expand access to the Husky C program. Husky C is Medicaid, which you've, you've just referred to. And maybe we should try to define that a little more a little more clearly. What does the Husky C program do for residents?
4: Uh, the Husky C program covers medical appointments. It covers medical transportation. If you are on Husky C, you can apply for one of the waiver programs. And by waiver programs, what I mean is programs that can provide care and assistance in the home. For example, I'm on the personal care assistance waiver. so. It allows me to hire aides to assist me throughout the day with my care, such as dressing, bathing, et cetera. Um, There's also a waiver through the Department of Developmental Services for people who may have severe cognitive disabilities. There's another waiver for people with mental health issues. And there's a waiver for people who have acquired brain injuries. So these are very critical programs to many people throughout the state. Um,
0: now, and, I'm sorry, go ahead.
4: No, I was just going to add in covers of course prescriptions and, and things along those lines
0: so, and uh, medical
4: equipment too.
0: So as you pointed out, a lot of important services connected with Husky C, but not everyone or anyone can can simply apply for it and, and get it, right? There are income limits for Husky C, and and they're they seem to be pretty low.
4: They are, they are, and I'm just going to pull out a fact sheet so I get the figures correct. But uh, right now, the current income limit is one thousand one hundred sixty-two dollars a year, and uh, per month. Per month, and then the asset limit is one thousand six hundred dollars and 2400 per couple. So they're very low.
0: So anyone, anyone with incomes exceeding those numbers, either individually or for a couple, they are not eligible for any of these Husky C Medicaid services. And if they want to be, they would have to somehow reduce whatever their income levels are, savings might be, to those levels?
4: Yes unfortunately yes now if you are part of one of the waiver programs there is a little bit of a higher income limit but again it's still pretty low and a lot of people aren't aware you know and that's the terrible part about this for example people who are not disabled and not elderly meaning over the age of 65 they can sign up for husky d and ironically with husky d you're allowed to have an income level of one thousand six hundred seventy seven per month and there's no asset limit for that and if you're in husky a which is primarily for parents or caretakers of young children Again, there's no asset limit, and the income limit is 1944 per month. So what we're asking, at least bring these income asset limits up to at least one of those Huskies levels. And as you can see, there's no asset limit for either program. So meaning you could save for an emergency. If you want to buy a vehicle or a house, you're allowed to have a savings. But with the Husky C, you have to be so limited. And many people, you know, we feel that it's discrimination because why are they allowed a higher income asset limit or no limit to the assets? And yet we have to impoverish ourselves just to get the services we need.
0: And again, just to be clear, these these low limits, they exist for older people, uh... Uh, over 60, 65, and older, and people with uh, disabilities. That's, that, that's, do I have that right? Uh, the current legislative session ends fairly soon. Uh, yes, it does. First uh, week or so of June. Do you have any indication from those who, well, other advocates who you are with and from any of the lawmakers who support your efforts? Any indication from them whether or not? this has a chance of changing before the end of this legislative session?
4: We really hope so. Not sure, to be honest with you, but obviously we are going to continue advocating and try to get this through by next year if it doesn't happen this year.
0: Where can people get more information about Husky C, about the program, uh, the Medicaid Husky C program, and about the Advocates who are trying to expand access to it in Connecticut.
4: They can certainly get in contact with our center. There's also many advocacy groups involved. Black and Brown United, Keep the Promise Coalition. Any of those websites would certainly have information. And we just encourage people, you know, once you learn about this, if you want to advocate on our behalf to just at least call your local legislators. You can certainly... Go to the legislative website, if you're not sure who your local legislators are, and get the contact numbers from there. You can certainly contact any of us, and we will certainly guide you in the right direction.
0: Sandy Roberts is the Information and Referral Specialist for the Center for Disability Rights in West Haven. We've been talking about efforts to expand access to Connecticut's Husky C., program connected with Medicaid. Thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us and, and giving us some insights about your efforts and about uh, how Husky C Medicaid actually works.
4: Oh, You're welcome.
0: To find out a little bit more about uh, Husky C and efforts to make Husky C more accessible, we are joined by Jody McDonald from Stanford, Connecticut and she has struggled with several health challenges and with finding a program to help cover the cost of her care, and Jody McDonald joins us via Zoom today. Ms. McDonald, uh, hello, and welcome to the full story.
5: Hi. How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty well. First of all, I understand you were part of a recent demonstration that delivered a letter to Governor Lamont uh, in front of the governor's mansion. Uh, that letter calling for income limits on Husky C two increase, and we'll talk a bit about that in a moment or two. Uh, Tell us about the demonstration, if you would. Uh, How many folks were there and and what did you do?
5: There were about, I believe, about 15 of us. And I read my story. um, And I also read a letter from 37 agencies that agree with the changes that need to be made. I informed him about me, um, who I am. I have kidney failure, all my medical issues. I just want five minutes. Like, if I could get Two minutes with the governor. Just to, like I feel like they dehumanize and discriminate against us because I'm disabled. I'm left out. I feel left out. So
0: what uh, what made your group decide to go to Lamont's residence as opposed to perhaps going to the state legislature or maybe the residences of state lawmakers? What, what was it about going to the governor's uh, location that was important?
5: I just joined the group, Sheldon's group, because I had just left social service. I was in full tears, so I started Googling and I figured out there's gotta be somebody as angry as me. And I found an article that uh, Sheldon and a guy named Rick had wrote with a newspaper. And I joined the group the day before and I went to Hartford the next day. I wanted to do it in front of Ned Lamont's the governor's mansion because I watch the news every day. I'm in law school right now. Like I'm very into everything that's going on and I'm just tired of hearing him speak of forgiving medical debt. You're creating medical debt for me. I'm eight dollars over the limit. I'm only eight dollars over
0: and that and that that disqualifies you from some of that coverage, just being that from small. All amount of the over. coverage. From I cannot
5: get I'm not eligible. So I'm left with just Medicare. Um, And that makes it some doctor's appointments, 20% I have to pay. I just had neck surgery May 8th. And they did this to me May 1st. So I had to get creative and call a fair hearing because you can get a continuance. But why? In the moment when I know I have to have an important surgery and I'm going to need medicine after and care after, why do I have to worry about fighting them fighting my health fighting just fighting like they're creating more I need a therapist now
0: (laughs) so did did you do you probably not covered did you feel like you you got those five minutes you said you'd just like five minutes with the governor did you feel like you got that at that demonstration
5: no because ironically that same day he decided to be at the capitol at 130 so he wasn't there but I have been hashtagging five minutes with Ned Lamont five, and I had all my friends hashtag my video. I just want five minutes. I'll settle for one. I can do it in 60 seconds. I speak very well, but I just want someone to not just listen, but to hear me, to hear me, the, the story between me and my son. He just served our country. I've served our country.
0: Thank, thank you for be, that.
5: Oh, no problem. Um, but it shouldn't be this way. I feel I'm already discriminated against. I'm African American. Um, I've already felt that way. And now with my medical, because I'm disabled, you can't discriminate a little bit. Like we're just we'll give you a little bit. We're gonna give you Q and B and you know, just take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. You're discriminating mm-hmm. against me because I'm disabled, especially because I'm disabled and younger than sixty two. It's not so fair. you're
0: sort of in a gap there, it sounds like. If you're young enough and aren't making uh, uh, enough money, you you qualify for uh, Medicaid or Husky. Yeah. Uh, if you're old enough, you do. But in this this gap, which sounds like it's a fairly wide gap, you don't.
5: If I wasn't on Medicare, I'd be eligible because there's there's all of these little stipulations and Sheldon was explaining, like when they did the expansion, they just didn't include that, but I get 1190 a month from social security, 1190. And now you're telling Mm. me that I have to spend part of that on my medical for the spend down. I also am on section eight, which means 30% of my gross, not my net, my gross goes to my rent. So 30% goes to that, still got to pay Eversource, still got to eat, because I only receive $190 in food stamps. I'm not getting it. I even told them one day I was so aggravated, I said, take the food stamps, take the food stamps, Take what. take whatever. I just need the medical. I'm on SSD, like I'm disabled.
0: You, and, you, uh, at the demonstration uh, through your letter and, and your words, you did share your personal healthcare journey. Uh, would you be comfortable sharing some of that with us uh, now, some of the challenges you're facing uh, uh, with your health issues?
5: Of course, um, I'm 50 now. Um, I found out in 2006, I had my first neck surgery. I've had 60 orthopedic surgeries Since then, um, I've also had, I have polycystic kidneys, which my kidneys are not functioning correctly. I will eventually need a kidney and dialysis. Last year, I had stomach issues and got down to 94 pounds, which made me then need a nurse and a healthcare worker, um, which wouldn't have been paid for if I didn't have the Medicaid at the time. Thank God I did in that moment. I also, I hurt my ankle uh, years ago uh, in a car accident, and it's just with age, you know, things change. So it's a little bit of everything between the kidneys. I had breast cancer in 2016. You name it, it's happened to me. Um, I don't wake up and think about, oh, maybe I'm gonna go take a walk today. Usually I'm thinking, how many appointments do I have for the day? It's Monday through Friday. I call those white coat days.
0: Do you think legislators, the governor, do you think they've heard your story? Do you think they've been taking into account the challenges people like you are facing on a daily basis?
5: No, I don't think they have.
0: Hmm. I think
5: it's just a piece of paper they read, they agreed upon and they sent it off. And that's why I say it's dehumanized. They're just disc- they're discriminating without even realizing What they're doing. The reason why I wanted to do this interview is for the person who is nonverbal, disabled, and just stuck in this program. That's why.
0: How would you like to see Husky see change the Medicare system? Change income and asset limits. Would you like to see that changed? Do you have specifics that you would like to see on the table for lawmakers and the governor to look at? And, and do something about?
5: I would like them to exactly that, change the income and asset limits. Even if you have a car, I had a friend who was in a coma for three months, she's disabled right now, and her daughter had a life insurance policy for her. She had to get rid of the life insurance policy because of the amount. It just makes no sense. I just need it to make sense. And I know common sense isn't common, but I expect my governor to have it because he's he represents me, he represents you. He is supposed to be the person that is non-denomination, bias should be out the window and everything. And I don't feel like, no, he hasn't heard my story or anyone else's story because I haven't even heard any of them mention it. It's not on the news, it's not anywhere in reading. All I found was that one article that Rick, who works with Sheldon, got out. That broke my heart, but it it made me feel nice that you guys were willing to hear it. Um, and then Sheldon and the group are fighting and they're not even in the battle. Like I'm literally waiting for my insurance. So it's nice to know that people are fighting for you, that you know, it's not their mom, it's not their relative, it's just another human human being. And I would like Governor Lamont. I love Himes, but I've called his office and they've just told me, talk to DSS. I've written a commissioner. I've called a commissioner. All they did was refer me, guess where? Back to DSS. And they talk to you like you are less than, like you are no one and take this and just get over it. Like, at at least your spend down's not $3,000. That's what I was told.
0: Uh, Just so folks know, you mentioned uh, Sheldon a a few times. Maybe we should uh, make sure they understand who Sheldon is.
5: Okay. Um, I met Sheldon through Google because I was trying to find somebody to help me with this fight. And um, I don't want to mispronounce his last name, Sheldon Taubman. And he's a disability rights attorney. And he's fighting the fight for us he's very well versed in i don't know how he remembers everything but he can speak every law everything that's changed everything that needs to be changed and he's helping me he's advocating for me and it's nice to have someone to advocate for you because most people go into these fair hearings to hearing with an administrative person with no representation. So if they're not well-versed, so I'm thankful that I have Sheldon to fight at the government level, and I'm thankful that I have Sheldon to help me with the rules and the guidelines and the income eligibility and everything. He's a godsend.
0: Jody McDonald is from Stamford, Connecticut, and she is struggling, working hard to find a program to help cover the costs of her medical care and Ms. McDonald, sorry to hear about the, the problems you're running into, and, and hopefully something will come of our discussion today. Thanks for your time. We appreciate you sharing your story with us.
5: Thank you. I'm an optimist. It's going to change. <laughs> I'm not trying to change it. I don't believe in trying. To try is to fail. It's going to change.
0: And that wraps up our program for today. Produced by Fatou Sangaré with Sophie Kamizi and senior producer Ann Lopez. I'm Tom Kuser. Thank you for listening to The Full Story.